0: Hello fellow travellers and welcome to podcast 140 in our series
1: You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder and me Mick Webb and this week it's a great pleasure to welcome to our show the man in seat 61 also known as Mark Smith the guru of train travel whose website has helped many a traveller make sense of incomprehensible timetables and also find the most convenient and indeed the cheapest way of getting from A to B, or A to B, because he deals with here and abroad, don't you, Mark? Hello, <laughs> hello, good morning. Um,
0: I should point out, Mark, um, that I am actually uh, at Victoria Station. There's something of an homage. That was a, that's a, uh, um, a, a truck to help less able travellers just going past, um, because if I'm not mistaken, in the in the uh, utter shambles of um, privatisation you emerged as king of Victoria Station for a time is that correct? Well for a while I was based at Cannon Street
2: and looked after staff at Charing Cross, London Bridge, Cannon Street and the eastern half of
1: Victoria so uh, yes that was quite a quite a sprawling empire in those days. Are you in the right half of Victoria Station Simon? Eastern or Uh, no I'm in
0: the wrong half Um, and that's deliberate because um, I chose somewhere where I knew that there wouldn't be announcements every five seconds and they've closed down this half of So even if I wanted to come and see you in Stretton, Mick, which I
1: don't, um, I wouldn't be able to by train. Oh, that'll be the weekend engineering works then. Indeed. Well, before we find out more about Mark's site and his own journeys, we must take a look back to our most recent podcasts. I'd like to thank... Ashley Quint for tweeting a very nice photo of Ljubljana's very pink Franciscan Church of the Annunciation that featured in our very hard travel quiz, podcast 138. I I think it was one of the questions you failed to answer, wasn't it, Simon? Uh, Yes,
0: along with all the others. But let me mention last week's podcast, 139, the place to be in 23, which led to some mixed opinions on the city of Marseille that we'd highlighted as a hot destination. Fiona Kennedy tweeted, We were there this summer. We were in an apartment in a rat-infested street, and the apartment was tiny and the duvet
1: was filthy. Buyer beware. Well, Ducatista, on the other hand, reports something altogether happier had a great experience in a couscous restaurant in Marseille when my son was a toddler. On arrival, he was hungry and fractious, but the waiter whisked him off into the kitchen and they returned a few minutes later with his own specially prepared little bowl of food. Well,
0: one thing we do know is that um, Ducatista didn't get there on the non-stop train, sorry, on the direct train from um, uh, London St Pancras International on Eurostar. Because, Mark, of course, as you know, um, that no longer runs. So um, uh, let's start you off with an easy one. How do I get to Marseille from the UK, given that there is no train direct?
2: Well, you're right, Simon, the direct train doesn't run, but it was always a bit early for me, 7.20 or so out of London. If you take the 11.04 Eurostar to Lille, you can make a really easy same station change in Lille onto a direct train from Lille to Marseille a high-speed TGV and that saves you having to faff about in Paris
0: although faffing about in Paris if I read your excellent website correctly is a really nice thing to do if you go to the Gare de Lyon and you um, uh, make sure that you get a pre-journey meal at the um, uh, is it Le Train Bleu Bleu, the Brasserie there it is.
2: Uh, the grandest station buffet I think you'll ever see. Uh, it's a fabulous restaurant, actually, in the station itself. It was opened, I think, around 1903 uh, at the Gare de Lyon. Uh, it's not the cheapest place in the world, but boy, it's a great place to have uh, lunch between a morning Eurostar and an afternoon train, not just to Marseille, but to Italy or Switzerland or even Barcelona.
0: Well, I, uh, that's that's all very good, but I'm actually looking across. I can see a Nero Express. I can see a Delis de France, and I can see a vast weather spoon, so I'm not really sure that the French have the right idea.
1: I'd take the well, trambler over a weather spoon any day. Yeah, I think I'm with you there, Mark. And uh, indeed, this leads us on to your website, themaninseat61.com. And uh, a question I'm sure you've been asked a million times and are sick of answering, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How come you chose that name?
2: Well, the name sort of chose itself because uh, I would treat myself to Eurostar's first class if I was going somewhere special, like the Crimea or to uh, Tokyo via Brussels, Moscow and Vladivostok or down to Marrakesh via Paris <laughs> I and do Madrid, as <laughs> you do. And I got fed up with being put in a seat next to a, a wall or the seat with the emergency exit metal bar right at my eye level. I thought, I'll look at the seat plan, come up with a seat that ticks every box. And, of course, it was seat 61, coach 7, 8, 11 or 12 on the original Eurostars. So when the site came along, there was the name, the man in seat 61.
0: And thus, great brands are created, Mark. Now, your name came up, actually. Um, during the week, there was an online independent uh, session about travel. And um, we we're explaining how effectively there's there was a vacuum of knowledge for travel the internet came along you came along and you put the two together in a way that no company has ever done so talk us through the site what does it do how's it going to help me
2: Well you're absolutely right. Uh, I've always found it really simple to take the train not just to Paris and Brussels but to Italy or Switzerland or Budapest or Madrid Uh, and the difficult bit is finding anyone in the commercial world will tell you how to do it. So I thought I'd be sort of subversive and put the information online and this is going back 20 years ago i can't believe it now did we even have the internet in 2001 we must have done because that's when i registered the the url the name um so it tells you in very simple terms the best train times outward from the UK to pretty much every country in Europe, from Portugal to Moldova. tells you the best train times back. It tells you roughly how much it costs or the starting price. And it tells you how to book it, because, of course, there isn't a magic Eurorail booking system. You have to use different websites for different routes, different operators and different trains. Uh, And it shows you something of what the journey and the trains are like, because everyone knows what a plane's like. But, of course, nobody knows what this mysterious thing called a couchette is or what it looks like or how it works and, you know, <laughs> business class, business premier, standard premier, second class, uh, all the trains are different. So something, f- photographs that show you what you're actually going to get when you make the journey and something about the scenery and the sights because the journey is, in my way of thinking, just as important as the destination. What exactly are you looking here?
0: Oh, um, yeah, I'm just um, talking to my friends online. Oh, yeah, it's looking like... Oh, like like? Like check the noises or something oh like checking that? the noises no yeah, checking check the noises would be a very good idea or, yeah. no i'm not i'm just talking to my friends <laughs> about that. thank you nice to see you um there we are that was a very um very uh, um alert uh, security person just asking what i was doing and inquiring about
1: the um, nature of my microphone sorry about that gentlemen well, Mark, since two thousand and one, your site has obviously grown. Um, I think exponentially is probably the word to describe it. And uh, you've also now got uh, various. Uh, wait, you actually sell T-shirts, don't you, with man with the man in seat sixty-one on them?
2: <laughs> that was a bit of fun. Yes, a bit of fun. A company approached me and said, "How would you like your own little T-shirt store?" And they came up with some design. I thought, well, "That's that's 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 fun. That's cool. I'll do that."
0: Uh, so are, are there disciples wandering around the continent um, wearing wearing T-shirts, showing their devotion to you, Mark? There could be. There really could be. But uh, <laughs> yes, most of the effort
2: goes into researching all these incredible train times. That, uh, it's, it's a bit of a monster to update, actually, the site. There is just always something changing and always something
1: not working quite the way it should that I've got to research and troubleshoot. I can vouch for that wealth of information. There was a lovely photo um, of the line between Ljubljana, which I mentioned earlier, and Zagreb as the railway follows the course of the river Sava as it snakes through the gorges. Um, And that uh, revived a very pleasant memory of my own journey along the course of the Sava. And then only last week, um, I was uh, on a journey to uh, Bruges in Belgium, via Brussels on Eurostar, and um, here's a snatch of the uh, train announcement as it uh, arrives at uh, Brussels midi. And I was delighted to get some really helpful information from your site, Mark, about the change in uh, Brussels uh, at Brussels Midi, or, as you very kindly pointed out, the station that is also known as Brussels Zuid in Flemish, um, which I must say for a moment I thought was two entirely different stations. But uh, you managed to clarify that. And then you also had this very, I think, incredibly useful information, Look on the departure boards for a train going to either Ostend, Nocker or Blankenberger, as they are the trains which stop at Bruges and Ghent. And remember that Bruges is Brugger in Flemish and Ghent is Gans in French, Uh, which is indeed uh, confusing if you're listening for the announcements. And what's more... uh, in Bruges, you want the main station, which is usually shown as plain Bruges or Brugge, not the little local station called Bruges-St. Peter's. However, just to confuse you, in Ghent or Ghent, the main station is called Ghent-St. Peter's, if that makes any sense at all.
0: Well, yes, Mark, if I can pick up on that... Um, Rail manages to make itself look really complicated and opaque, and I bet you wake up every morning and there's another dozen questions from uh, desperate um, uh, travellers who are trying to seek information from you. First of all, is that the case? Secondly, what are the most popular uh, questions you get asked, or po- perhaps for you, um, unpopular well, that's absolutely true.
2: I worked it out the other day, and I get an email inquiry every 24 minutes, which which sounds sort of manageable until you realize that it works. 20. That happens 24-7, seven days a week, and I don't work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But the emails are really good because even if they're asking what seems to be a simple question with a simple answer, it shows me the things that people worry about, and it shows me the misconceptions that they have, and it shows me the question, the the question marks they have over what they've seen on the official sites. And I can, within minutes sometimes, just change what I say on my site to highlight a problem, to highlight that Brussels South has uh, three different names, South, Midi and Zout, uh, to highlight the different stations in Bruges that people get confused about. Uh, And that's really good. It's the best market research you can have, actually, getting feedback like that. Uh, and I can say things that the official sites can't. I can explain things in more detail. Uh, I can also explain how things really work, not necessarily how they should work. And an official site, of course, can't get into that. It has to say how things should work. Um, so, yes, it's, 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 it's a monster to update. Uh, and there's always something going on. There's always something changing. There's always something, some feedback coming in that uh, allows me to keep improving it here and there.
0: And I I recall trying to plan a journey to um, India um, uh, and uh, to buy tickets online for Indian railways required, if I'm not mistaken, um, sending a fax to somebody, having an Indian mobile phone number and all kinds of other hurdles before you could actually do something which um, we would like to think was quite a straightforward transaction, which is that you go online, you find the train you want, you pay for a ticket and that's that. Oh, yes, the Indian
2: rail booking system is... I mean, it's the largest reservation system in the world, uh, but the process for a foreigner in booking train tickets is absolutely Byzantine. Uh, it's quite a challenge, actually. In fact, it's sort of training course for visiting
0: India, I think. Moving back to... Europe. Um, I've got a question here, which um, actually came in to me from Karen Marshall. Um, Hi, Simon. If you had two weeks and an interrail pass, where would you go to get the best value out of it? And Karen points out that she uh, um, did the uh, brilliant half price deal where you could um, for a few fleeting days buy a half price interrail ticket. She's planning to go at the beginning of April.
2: Well, the key thing here is that we can sort of draw a line down the middle of Europe between France and Germany. So we got, don't take this geographically precise, but let's assume that we have France, Spain, Portugal and Italy to the left of that line. They are the past unfriendly countries where you have to pay a fee, typically €10, sometimes more, for pretty much every long-distance train you hop on. And then the countries to the right of that line, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Benelux, uh, most of Central and Eastern Europe, those are the pass-friendly countries where you can usually, not always, but usually, just hop on any train you like without a reservation, sit in any empty seat, and show your pass. And there's there's obviously a, both a convenience factor and a cheapness factor in not having to pay all those fees if you head if you head
1: east. And what sort of itinerary would you take then, Mark, if you had two weeks? And we're going down the, uh, the um, eastern side, as it
2: were. Well, the great thing about Interrail is you can do exactly what you want. So it depends what interests you. You start with where you want to go and what you want to see. Uh, you don't have to do a particular itinerary at all. It's so flexible. And the trains will take you pretty much anywhere. But if you hadn't been to Europe before, well, you've got to start with those great capitals, the, the Pragues and the Budapests and the Viennas, um, the Berlins. Uh, and then look at some of the smaller places. Places like Český Krumlov, beautiful town in the Czech Republic, second most visited place, actually, in the Czech Republic. Um, And obviously you've got Kraków, which uh, is to some extent the new Prague, I think. Um, There's
1: lots of great cities over on that eastern half of our continent. Have you got a special journey yourself, Mark, a favourite one outside the UK in Europe? Let's start with that. Um, I mean, we mentioned in last week's podcast that fantastic uh, railway journey between the Serbian capital, Belgrade, and the Montenegrin um, uh, seaside city of Bar. Uh, and also, I noticed on your uh, website what looked like a fantastic uh, trip down the Douro Valley in Portugal. Um, would they be amongst your favourites?
2: Well, the Belgrade-Bar line certainly is. It was only opened in 1976. It's actually relatively ah. new. But that journey takes spectacular to another level. Uh, it's not like the railway is down in the valley. The railway is actually up there in the mountains, up high, and you are gazing down on the valley hundreds of feet below. It's it's breathtaking. And it goes over one of the, what was the tallest railway bridge in the world. I think the Chinese have, or, or Indians have trumped it now, but uh, I think actually technically it remains the highest viaduct in the world if you, you split hairs. But it's certainly a fantastic, fantastic journey. The other route that's worth doing, a little bit closer to home in Switzerland, is the narrow-gauge Bernina route over the Alps. It goes from Kerr to Tirano, but with a connection from Zurich at one end and a regional train connecting to Milan at the other end, you can actually use it as a very slow but incredible, spectacular scenic route over the Alps by train. Uh, it's the slow scenic route, basically, between Zurich and Milan. That
1: sounds great.
0: Slow travel equals beautiful travel, I guess, in the UK as well, Mark. So we have the uh, Settle to Carlisle famously. We have the West Highland Line in um, Scotland. Is, are those particular favourites of yours? Or is there a UK rail journey that um, doesn't get the, uh, uh, the, the the praise that it deserves?
2: There are loads of great journeys. I mean, I have to say that my favourite journey in, in the world is probably London to Fort William on the sleeper. Um, Partly because of the contrast between going to sleep as you speed away from London at 80 miles an hour on a six-track electrified main line uh, past exciting places like Hemel Hempstead and Milton Keynes. Uh, and then you wake up in the middle of nowhere at 30 miles an hour on a single track with a diesel struggling away at the front and deer bounding away from the train uh, on this little hotel train where you can go and have your egg and bacon in the lounge car. um it's it's such a great journey.
0: That's a, a lovely description. And it takes us very neatly onto my chat with Manisha Rajesh, who you will know is the author of Around the World in 80 Trains. Um, she's actually planning a big journey across Europe using... A lot of sleeper trains to get I think as far as Istanbul and I caught up with her at um, London St Pancras International and I asked her whether sleeper trains were really a good substitute for low-cost flights.
3: They can be depending on what you're looking for when you travel. Um, I personally enjoy hopping on at a train station, taking as many liquids as I like, not having to go through scanners, being patted, being prodded, taking off my shoes. Um, And I enjoy the fact that my adventure starts as soon as I get on board the train. Um, And I don't have to have that long journey to an airport, I don't have to get off and try and fight for a taxi at the other end. Um, And I think there are a lot of people like me who enjoy the sort of simplicity of train travel. Um, Factoring in cost is certainly something else to consider, Um, but if you book far enough in advance with a lot of your tickets, um, or you opt to break up your journey along the way, Um, or if you want to have an upright sleeper, um, then those options are definitely there.
0: And I'm a particular fan of the Couchette, but that, like, I guess, rail travel in general, is not for people who um, uh, subscribe to the um, Zahra Gabor I I want to be alone um, school of uh, travelling.
3: No, I think if you don't like people and you want to be left alone, then perhaps Couchette's not the best option. But um, I enjoy them. I enjoy them because I like meeting people. And Couchette's... For anyone who's listening who isn't too sure about them, couchettes are uh, four person or six person compartments with, um, I wouldn't so much call them berths as bunks maybe and you get given a pillow you get a uh, a bed sheet you get a blanket and it's up to you to sort of pull up or lock down them uh, in the morning and the night Um, but then you can also travel in actual sleeper compartments which have one or two berths in them and they're private and you often get an ensuite bathroom and they can be quite a fancy way of traveling
0: but it's So anybody who's just desperate to travel um, cheaply and quickly, they're not for everyone. uh, What sort of people particularly do you find in sleepers?
3: Quite an interesting range of people. Um, Having travelled around the world by train, um, I found people who have got the fear of flying. uh, People who've had their driving licences taken away from them, especially on Amtrak in the US. Um, Also a lot of pregnant people, when I was traveling through China, um, I kept finding pregnant women in my compartments and then I suddenly clicked that it's because people can't travel after a certain uh, number of weeks, but you can still go over land. Um, I've done it myself on the Caledonian sleeper from Glasgow to London when I was eight and a half months pregnant. And you also find a lot of people with pets. You find a lot of families on board because small children often travel for free under the age of five. You also get half-price tickets under the age of 11. Um, And children fit into your berth. So it can be a really nice, easy way for families to travel. Um, It's also fun. It's great fun. So quite a wide range of people.
0: And your absolute favourite country in Europe and perhaps more widely around the world for sleeper travel. Oh, sleeper travel in
3: Europe. Um, I think probably Sweden was the best sleeper train that I've ever done. I took the train from Stockholm up to Narvik, just across the Arctic Circle border. um, And it was the most fabulous train journey I've ever done. Uh, And around the world, I would still have to say India, which is my favourite.
0: Mark, I love Indian sleeper trains. Would you say uh, they are... Are the most exciting and interesting just because of the way you have got all of humanity there and they are just constantly alive and exciting and stuff happening and um, great adventures. That's absolutely right. In India, the trains are India.
2: It's like the scenery is as much on the inside of the train as the outside. And oh, just hearing that uh, chap coming along the corridor singing chai chai garam chai at lovely hot sweet tea i mean i don't normally have that many sugars in tea but i, I love it when it's supplied on the indian railways and i
1: got quite partial to indian railways chapatis as well they're quite good <laughs> yes there's quite a good um Portrait of that kind of journey in um, Wes Anderson's film, The Darjeeling Express. But we've been waxing lyrical about railways. Mark, do you think they're actually um, about to enter a new golden age? Well, to some extent, high-speed rail has already reclaimed a lot of
2: routes from short-haul air. I mean, there was a time when Amsterdam to Paris took seven hours or six or seven hours, even on the best trains, it now takes just over three hours by high-speed train, and it's become primarily a rail-dominated route again. Paris to Basel now takes three hours. Paris-Geneva, just over three hours. Uh, So those have reclaimed the journeys for rail. When it comes to sleeper trains, they've had a hard time because, of course, they're the most difficult to run commercially, and they've also got the hardest job competing with air travel. And a lot of them disappeared after the year 2000. But they seem to be making a modest comeback. And I think there's two things driving it. First of all, people are getting fed up with air travel and the airline and airport experience. They are looking for an alternative. And second, they're also becoming more and more conscious about their carbon footprint and about emissions. And the great thing about a sleeper train is that it leaves in the evening, arrives in the morning. It's really time effective. There's a lot of people who can't understand. They can't get past a 12-hour train journey being longer than a one-hour flight but when you remember that the one-hour flight actually ends up taking four or five hours out of your day and the sleeper train leaves in the evening arrives in the morning you're asleep for most of it it feels really quick actually it's a really time effective way and and using sleeper trains rail can compete by air over even longer distances and i think for leisure travelers they are now looking for even
1: longer journeys to switch to rail rather than air well i must say that my trip to uh... Bruges was incredibly quick um, and efficient and there was a certain amount of uh, messing around at St Pancras who you know having to be uh, checked and, uh, and also going through customs as well because of uh, I think matters to do with Brexit if I can mention that but on the whole it was an incredibly pleasant and comfortable and um, stress-free experience although I have to point out that um, the belgian trains which i'd expected to be rather sort of nice and and um, comfortable actually were extremely shabby on the whole you know seats were broken and uh, you know they were covered in graffiti of course and uh, they weren't as weren't quite what i'd uh, i'd expected well that's a shame because the belgians have got some really good
2: trains they've got or at least on their intercity routes they've got some rather swish double deckers uh, and indeed, some swish single deckers. But if you take some of the the older local trains, well, they can be a bit knocked about. Yeah,
0: Mark, <laughs> I wonder if you had one country you had to travel around by train forever, which would it be? Would it be Belgium?
2: Well, it's got to be Switzerland, hasn't it? I mean, a combination of the scenery and an entire network that's integrated and runs like clockwork. Would you ever get tired of travelling
1: by train in Switzerland and looking up at those mountains and down at those valleys? I'm not sure I would. Well, I'd like to um, put you on the spot um, with another question, and this time about stations. Where do you think this um, piano playing was recorded?
0: I'm going to say it could have been Herne Hill in South London. They've got a piano there, but I think it's actually much more likely to be at London St Pancras International where immediately outside Eurostar arrivals, there is a piano, which is a joyful way of bringing things to life. I'm going to say uh, probably uh, Dock of the Bay, Um, but an interesting uh, jazz rendition of it.
1: Yes. And uh, well, the reason I asked that was Mark, I wanted to ask you about your favorite stations. Um, Uh, You sort of mentioned uh, the Gare de Lyon, but um, where else do you actually look forward to um, spending a bit of time there waiting for your train? Well, we've got to mention St Pancras, haven't we? I mean, it went from
2: uh, being kind, a bit of a dump, to an absolutely spectacular international gateway. I mean, what a a mixture of the old and the new. But um, if we look abroad, well... Antwerp, Antwerp Central is a palace. Absolutely, it's worth taking some time when you change trains between your Amsterdam and your Bruges uh, to just wander around there and uh, have a coffee in the rather grand or a beer uh, in the rather grand station buffet there. Um, that's absolutely superb, and we've got. Well, Madrid Atosha deserves a mention because although the modern bit isn't right, isn't much to uh, write home about. They've taken the old train shed and turned it into a tropical garden. Bit of a shame they've done away with the turtle pool. I, do, I used to like watching the turtles, but uh, they do some good uh, noodles and scrambled egg and
1: eel there. <laughs> All right. And uh, how about São Bento, um, the station in uh, Porto, which has got the most? Incredible sort of tiled mosaics um, uh, depicting scenes from uh, Portuguese history in blue and white. Those are actually well worth uh, being delayed for some hours just to um, feast your eyes on. Now that's that's quite
2: a spectacular station. But I have to say, you've found something that's on my to-do list because I haven't got there yet. <laughs> ah.
0: My goodness. Well, thank you so much, Mark Smith. You can and should, if you've got any interest in international rail travel, visit Mark's website, seat61.com, and also follow him on Twitter. And Mark, there's a few imposters around. Tell us what exactly the correct version is, please. Well, on Twitter or Facebook,
2: it's at seat61, all one word, written as a word. Uh, Very good to
0: know. And of course, um, you can uh, get in touch with us uh, by tweeting at you should have BT, or indeed leave us a message, an audio one, at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there.
1: Well, let me add my thanks to you as well, Mark. And uh, next week's podcast will be my report from Bruges. Is it as dangerous as the uh, film in Bruges suggests? Until then, from me, Mick Webb, and me, Simon Calder, goodbye. 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 <laughs>